Welcome and welcome back. Welcome to episode number 22, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening and joining us today. This is uh, Michael Towie. I'm here as always with my co-host, Michael Booth. Um, how are you today, my friend? I'm good, man. I'm t- a little tired. I was up late watching uh, watching our the Camaro, the V8 Camaro at Le Mans doing this. Uh, you said hour as if you had possession. That's how I feel right now, dude, okay? I feel like just... You're fully invested in this, uh, huh? Yeah. I, uh, you know, I when I found out about it, I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool you know like a nascar car is going to be racing at this like 24-hour race you know it's a little different than just what they do and it's like it's built different too and it's like yeah it's just a really it's like a beast and it's been cool to watch like the highlights and kind of follow along i think it finished like in in, at the top of the gte class and like was even passing some of these i think they're called like lmp2 cars i think is the name interesting so interesting so you don't know anything about it you're just watching it watching and i like him i know about the race obviously i know what the race is i know that's like a historic thing because it's uh, usually a motorcycle race right that's why it's, well, that's why it's interesting that it's uh well there's usually like there's always been like the 24 hour it's like a 24 hour race it's like ferrari and you know and there's like that movie that came mm-hmm, out i think mm-hmm. that's well, how i i think that's honestly how i like why i kind of got invested in this is i was like reminded i was like oh yeah i remember watching like Ford versus Ferrari and thought that was like this kind of is like that same race at the same place so I was like oh this is cool and just the fact that it's like NASCAR at that place it's like you know everybody's kind of doubting and then it's like came in there and just like crushed it and like so that's cool at least that's what I've been for the past like couple of days just been like uh watching a lot of stuff about and following up so people should check it out that's awesome yeah man that's sweet um, yeah, Le Mans is crazy, dude. That's a that's a hardcore endurance race. Has been forever. Um, I always get that one. I don't know why, but I just get that confused with Isle, Isle of Man, which is I think almost primarily a motorcycle. Yeah, race that only. is. Yeah, and that stuff is that, cool. That one's really insane. Um, I mean, those like dudes die there like every single year, which is pretty terrifying to think about. But it's probably like one of the most thrilling races to compete in, I'd assume. Yeah. But um, Le Mans seems a little more like. It's more about the endurance versus just like straight up cliffs that you're gonna fly off of at any mm-hmm. point in time, which I'm sure there's plenty of those as well. But um, compared to the Isle of Man, there's like way less, way less cliffs to fall off of and die. No, that's for sure. Yeah, it's just uh... that's for sure. Which is so, which should be so terrifying. I remember I was talking to um, uh, Serena about this, and because I think I remember listening in a podcast um, recently with a guy who is a medic for the Isle of Man. Okay, and and he talks about like statistically speaking there's like three deaths there every year at every race at least three every year and so you know obviously it's a pretty heavy thing because it's, it's like at the beginning of the race you know like and they all it's a pretty small community um at that level of of motorcycle racing so everybody kind of knows each other mm-hmm. i guess it's obviously pretty impactful and sad you know when you start the race because you know uh, probably three of your friends aren't going to be coming home which is insane. And I was, you know, kind of talking with Serena about that. And she's like, can't they put up, you know, like safety barriers and stuff. And I was like, well, I mean, I think they're like, I was looking up, it's like the average speed at the Isle of Man is like 96 to like 108 miles an hour with like a max top range of like 175, 180. And, and they're going through like villages, you know, which are, and they're like, they're like, they're like, 
European roads. Yeah. You know, they're like small roads that have been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And there's just like, no, it doesn't matter. Once you're, I think you go above like 85, 90 miles an hour. It's like, if you get thrown off that bike, it doesn't matter if it's like, it would have to be like a series of nets that catch you or something like that. It's because otherwise it's like, it could be bales of hay. It doesn't matter. You're exploding. Like you're just, you're just getting fucked up. <laughs> It'd be so insane. It's yeah. so terrifying, dude. Those guys are absolutely wild. Yeah. I mean, you've ridden motorcycles before, right? Yeah. Just dirt bikes. But what's the fastest you've gone on one? You think I, mean, I definitely like topped out on my bike before, but I don't know if I was going any faster than like maybe like 50 or 60. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so fast on a motorcycle. It feels crazy. Like I was, yeah, I was like in like fourth gear, just like, like my, Red I couldn't, couldn't yeah. really go. It was kind of doing that, you know, it's the only time I've ever yeah. did that on my bike. It was like trying to hit the, there was like this track that we had back at the house I grew up at. We had like this kind of like that we made, but like, and it had there was this one spot where if you skipped a S turn you could like go straight through and there was like this little jump we had and you could get like you could get some good air off of it. So you'd you'd hit it going fifty? Not going that fast, but like there was times after the after that straightaway, there's a there's like a big long portion of like to get to the end of the field, and that's when I would do that after that jump. You guys had a track a little track at your house? That's pretty sick. Yeah, like uh my uh yeah, there was like a I think it was like a buddy of my stepdad at the time, like had like a gravel company. So he had like a, what is it like? What, what is it called? A cat? Like a. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a skid steer or like a bobcat. Yeah. And like came yeah. out and just went to little certain parts of our field and like made little like hills for us mm-hmm. to like jump off of, or like kind of made like little dugout parts still for like a berm. So then we kind of like yeah. formed yeah. the track around that stuff that he just went and like found spots to dig up for us a little bit that's pretty sweet so then i was like yeah it was like pretty pretty nice to have that because then you could just ride in the field and kind of like go through and yeah i miss kind of i miss riding dirt bikes sometimes kind of want to get one again be fun oh dude yeah dirt bikes are fun quads are a lot of fun um definitely want to get one of those and have as a toy (laughs) in the near future that's for sure let me get like a ktm just like fucking take it out and like, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely i want to get a quad and, and mod it and make it go real fast uh, <laughs> oh that'd be fun hell yeah that'd be fun i also have always wanted one of those um like those little drift trikes you know oh have yeah with those? those big like fat hand Dude, brake handles on the yeah. yeah they make like e-version ones now like razor makes like an like an e drift trike and i mean they're only like a couple hundred bucks dude I am I am inches <laughs> away from getting one, dude, and that's just what I'm gonna be when I take to work. Just <laughs> uh, just whipping around, taking side streets all the way to work. It'd be so fun. Uh, what have you been up to, dude? Oh, you know, it's just usual, just working a ton. I'm pretty excited. I've got um it came so fast, I can't believe it, it feels like forever ago when we bought the tickets, but um I'm going to go see Blink-182 Blink in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the Climate Pledge Arena, which will be sweet with uh, with our good buddy Bray. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I'm excited. Uh, I haven't seen Blink in, dude, a long time. Probably like well, in 15 years. Like Tom's back in the band, so it's like, you know, it's just a... Uh, that's what I'm saying. 
and you and turnstiles opening which is like a pretty popular uh their the album they put out i think it was a few years ago now it's still pretty popular and gets a lot of gets a lot of plays yeah, you were you uh, told me to check them out, and I have been the last couple of days. They have some they have some good jams for sure. Yeah. So it's a good band to open for them. It should be fun. So I'm gonna fly in, um, spend a couple of days with my pops, uh, hang out in Seattle. Bray's gonna come up on Sunday. We're gonna do that, and then I'll probably fly out Monday or Tuesday. So nice, dude. Um, yeah, that should be fun. And then I'll probably do another trip back to go see some family in um, July. But we'll probably do another episode before that one. Um, and then most recently, dude, we just um, onboarded uh, our third cultivation site in Missouri, actually. Nice. So um, up to three cultivation sites there, uh, about 120, 130 employees, and really excited to get that going. Dude, so, nice. Um, yeah, growing a lot of pot in the state of Missouri right now, that's for sure. Hell yeah. Yeah, other than that, dude, um, been trying to like stay on – the gym schedule as well it's been it's been tough and then uh uh i think i told you before we jumped on but uh two weeks nicotine free so there you go put the vape down which is uh which is not too hard but also people listen to this podcast oh. are like thank god we don't have to hear this guy hit rip a vape with this rip his vape <laughs> on the pod anymore i don't have to edit uh, it out anymore <laughs> So I'm, uh, yeah, so that's been, that's been a good one. Uh, I actually quit like a little earlier than a little longer than two weeks ago, but then I had a relapse on Memorial day weekend, dude, uh, big shocker. Yeah. Out there on, out there on the, on the boat, dude, it was sweet. We went out to, um, Lake Hamilton in hot springs, which is about 45 minutes, an hour away. And, uh, a coworker of mine's family has a beautiful house in the lake there. And we rented a pontoon boat. I just ripped that thing around all day, dude. And just, I think I drank, I think I drank like 12 white claws, dude. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I started drinking white claws at like, damn, dude. At like, at like 12 30 or one o'clock. And I don't think I stopped drinking white claws until like nine o'clock at night. And they had, um, it happens. Oh, dude. And I mean, it was just, it was so nice out. Um, and we were having a good time. So it was just in those white claws, man. They're like, like water they're pretty easy to crush so but they dude it was sweet they have this uh uh sweet bar that you can drive your dock up to, or you can dock your boat up to mm-hmm. and so we ordered like three pizzas and like some beers and then we just pulled up and docked our boat and then went and used the restroom and then grabbed our grabbed our zoc and a bunch of brews and then just went out on the boat and kept eating them and drinking dude it was it was a great it was a great time man people people were out there going buck though like I mean, we were in a pontoon boat, so we couldn't go that fast, but people were out there hauling ass, dude. <laughs> you got to be careful. You got to be careful. It was sweet, though. We saw some people get pulled over by the boat police, you know, yeah. for speeding underneath, underneath a bridge. It was really funny. And they, like, pull up to them and, like, dock up to them, you know, and, like, give them a hard time. It's hilarious. So, um, but, uh, yeah, dude, it was, it was funny. It's a man-made lake. Um, it's definitely super dirty and like, I think, you know, I just, people have been partying there for decades and I'm assuming that that lake is just filled with so much piss. Like it's wild how it's just a pool at that point. So, um, I try not to think about that too much, but other than that, we had a great time. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, man, uh, should we, dude, you want to, I've got an intro clip for you. Okay. Yeah. Let's, uh, I think you're going to love it. 
Um, I think you're gonna love it. I think you're gonna love it. It's a reprise. It's a follow-up to a previous clip. Um, I think you're gonna really enjoy it. And it's a, a, a secondary clip to, it's a follow-up clip to the bug kiss video. So that's all I really wanna say about it. Um, All right, which one is it? You send it to me? Yeah. No, it's in the, it's the links. It's, I have a link in the two dabs. Oh, okay. Cornball. There you go, intro clip. Look at my fucking, fuck you. <laughs> you fucking cornball. Figure it out, dude. What are you doing? I didn't know you had it linked already. Oh, okay. Bug Kiss After Dark, oh my god. Uh-huh. Welcome uh -huh. to Bug Kiss After Dark. I've been using tiny lips to kiss bugs and then record the results in this field guide. The first bug I found tonight was a firefly. The guide said she'll flash her bum at me if she wants a kiss, and I definitely see flashing. It also said to use the micro-lip attachment, so I put that on. <laughs> Check. Five lips out of five. This black oh my god. Lonely, so oh I my god. This is so terrifying. Maybe next time. I found a cricket hopping around on the ground who needed some kisses too. Oh, that's a big one. Count them off with me. One. Wow. <laughs> oh, this two, cricket's into it. Three. Dude, this cricket likes it. Look at it. It's like, oh, oh. Gross. Oh. 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 Five. Oh my oh, god. Kissing back. <laughs> now we're nicking. Oh, gross. <laughs> Check. That guy Five was lips sweet. again. That no. Guy was oh. Next, I found some cockroaches. Not the cockroach kiss. So I dumped them out. Ah. Ah. It was all right, Ew. but would have been better without the droppings. Last but not least, I found gentleman. this distinguished gentleman. Not a bug, but worthy of a kiss. Not a bug, but worthy of a kiss. Wow. Dude, so wild. So wild, and the thing that I think is the most amazing part about this now is knowing that that is the guy who also created the product, right? Mm -hmm. So he made his own wild, like just insane. He really product wants to kiss bugs, and then made his own video using it as if it was a product. Like the whole perspective of the first video is as if he found like here's this new product bug kiss let me i'm going to unbox it and show it to you you know and then you realize that that he shows you the how-to and he makes them and now he's selling them and he made a v2 i'm just i'm perplexed yeah the, just the uh, uh the sheer breadth of the internet just uh, never fails to impress me it's really quite something that's for sure hell yeah that is for sure awesome man well um We've got a guest. Should we yeah. go ahead and get ready to uh, bring him in? Yeah, let's do that. First guest episode. This is huge, man. I'm excited. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Um, super excited to announce our first guest episode. We today have Dan Adler-Golden uh, from Node Labs. Um, I will turn it over to him here in a second to give his intro. Um, it's hard for me to even kind of explain everything he's done. Mm -hmm. He's touched many parts of the industry and has been around, been around for a long time. Um, been really lucky to be able to get to know him, um, work with him in quite a few different capacities. 
um, a lot of which is in the genetics and breeding realm. Um, I think he's probably one of the kind of foremost experts on the space, especially with him and his team. Um, and so uh, welcome, Dan. Thanks, Mikey. Great to uh, great to be on. Yeah, nice to, nice yeah, to meet you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you guys have met before, right? Michael, Dan, no. Dan, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Great to meet you virtually. No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, great to meet you, man, as well. Uh, Michael's been around with me for a long time too. It's actually funny. We've probably been in the same room together once or twice. But Michael uh, and I actually did our undergrad together, and he came down and uh, was one of like the first employees I hired at what is now Lowell Farms um, in Cali. So oh, wow. yeah, he's been down there for a long time. Is still in the Salinas area. Nice. So a couple, a couple miles on yeah. you. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Dan, thank you so much for jumping on today. Um, you know, would love to just kind of turn it over to you kind of first and foremost, just kind of, um, you know, tell us kind of what your background is, what made you kind of decide to start getting into cannabis. And then obviously one of my favorite questions to ask people is, uh, you know, what was your first time smoking pot? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, it, it brings me back for sure. Uh, yeah, man. So I was uh, I was selling weed on the East Coast for a number of years uh, to my friends and my friends' parents. Um, I was lucky <laughs> enough to get a real sour diesel plug back in the day. Um, you know, at first we started with Beasters, which for those who don't know, is the wettest weed that you've ever seen in your life coming in from BC, coming in from Canada. Super orange hairs, not desirable smoke. At some point, uh, Hedy's came along and then Sour Diesel came along. So it took a little while for me to even learn that there were different categories of product and the hierarchy to what is the best product out there. Um, and so I was selling weed for a number of years on the East Coast. And uh, Sour Diesel was the strain that I had for years that would be bringing everyone back. Remind and me I like again, to consider um, that. where on the East Coast you're from? So I grew up in Boston. Uh, that's right. That's right. Um, grew up just outside of Boston. Um so it was uh, very interesting. You know, obviously people were very self-conscious about their smoking mm -hmm. behaviors and habits. I had, uh, you know, some of the people I'd sell weed to, some of the parents I would sell weed to, um, I'd say, hey, man, Hempfest is going on. Why don't you, like, come check it out? You can smoke weed at the park. And uh, they were worried about people taking their pictures and all kinds of concerns, like relics of the war on drugs before us. Um, As if you're going to post so it on Facebook or something like that, you know? Or like... I, think, I, I think at that point, I don't know what the concerns were. Uh, and I get it. People of that generation saw their friends thrown in jail and their kids taken away for all kinds of, like, not um, not bad offenses. Um, but it was just culturally something that people were very, very cagey about. Um, so for years, you know, I was selling weed in the black market. Um, eventually I considered coming to California to work in the emerging legal space. Mm -hmm. Um, at that time it was still, uh, prop, uh, 215. Okay. So this was in the legal days. And approximately uh, kind of when did you start selling when, and what was kind of the timeline of ramping into that sour D if you don't mind explaining that? Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. So the, um, sour diesel showed up in 2006 and it was on until 2011. Yeah. So it was clearly coming in from out of state. It would be available for a period and then gone for months at a time. So you had to stock up on, on as much as you could. Um, and people really appreciated having that level of access. Um, we did have some craft guys locally who were doing super small batch stuff, but Sour was bringing everyone back. 
Um, this was a sour diesel. You got a gram in your pocket and the whole restaurant's blown up. Like we got pulled over in college, had a gram on me, whole car is searched and they're tearing that apart. Not satisfied that there's only a gram in the car. What, uh, um, where was this stuff being grown? Most of the sour diesel. I don't know. Interesting. On the East coast, we, we stayed very isolated from the production. Yeah. When I moved out to California, being able to hang out with the plants as much as I've been able to was a new experience. I've been to some buddies grows, but they topped out at like 20 lights. You know, you have 20 lights at one apartment or slash house. You have a couple of those and that's, and that's it. So I suspect the sour was coming from Northern California. I think I know which sour it was, but just based off the volume, the level of quality, how small the pounds were, cause it was fucking crushed as, mm-hmm. as tiny as you could. So these guys could bring as much as possible led me to believe that it was a, a cut that was being grown by a circle of people in California. Um, the batches looked slightly different. The buds were different um, sizes sometimes, but it was all the same product. So it definitely had all the traits of West Coast, a, a small circle of people producing the stuff and getting it out to the East Coast. First time I got it, it was uh, 7,000 a pound. And we wow. bought two pounds. <laughs> So it was $14,000 for two pounds and I kept buying it. I came back for more, uh, which is wild to think about. Um, well, cause it how, always much, stayed... how much was an eighth of that going for back then? Fuck man. I mean, it's just 70, 70 you know, 20 bucks. all the yeah, way up, yeah. all the way crazy. up. Uh, it was also a period of time that I'm very romantic about because people were like, come on in, like, meet my girlfriend. Like, you want anything to eat? Like, take your shoes off. Mm-hmm. There was really the red carpet treatment if you had access to good product, um, which I think you still have in certain certain ways and certain uh, in certain areas, but it wasn't like the experience back then where people were like, come on the boat, like, come to the private <laughs> event because you're my book. Yeah. Right. Um, so... Yeah, sour was really how I got started on this, and I'm still on a personal sour diesel mission because of that. I was, uh, was going to bring that up because you said that you thought it was maybe from Northern California. You, have you just been on like a quest to find yeah. this like same sour that you like re- remember? You know. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I would love to talk about sour as much time as you guys have, um, <laughs> but there's a couple cuts that I've been able to track down. One dates back to the Catskills to 1996. And I refer to that as the original sour diesel. You have to take it 77 days in flour. It's super hungry. That was not the sour that I got back in the day. Ours was uh, most likely a res, uh, res's sour, the, the mother that he used for his breeding programs. Um, but you know, there's a couple different sours and now there is some interesting technology where you can fingerprint them to tell how many of them are the same, how many different versions there are. Um, but yeah, without getting too sidetracked, I'm on like a sour diesel, just finding the best representation of it that we can as possible. Um, well, we should definitely so, dive more into the, the sour diesel com- conversation, but I am curious to keep going on the kind of the timeline of, so 2006 sour diesel comes out. You're whipping that at 20 bucks a gram all the way up all day. People are making you dinner. People are inviting you out on the boat. Then you're like, okay, I got to go out to Cali. What kind of, what's the timeline on that? So um, it wasn't until 2016, 2017 that I was like, okay, I should, I should move for this. Um, I was listening to a podcast with Chris Saka, um, who was on with Bill Simmons. And um, it was very, very foundational for me to move to the West Coast. 
for years, I was like, whenever weed comes here, I'll be here. I don't need to move my life for weed. Um, Chris Saka, who's like a early uh, Twitter investor and a, a, a very accomplished entrepreneur, um, tech was happening and he was in Buffalo, New York. Um, so he was like, I need to get the fuck out of Buffalo and go to California to where this is happening. Sure. And I heard him share this anecdote about, hey, it's happening without me. And that really resonated with me. Because I was on the East Coast in Boston, not working in cannabis at that point, and was like, "Man, this is all happening without me. I, I got to get out there and like just just go towards it." Um, so initially, I moved to Oakland to work for a guy who was doing um, he was growing uh, cannabinoids in vats with bioreactors. So if you need kilos of THCV, CBD, CBN, he was able to produce that for you uh, and helping him uh, raise some capital. Um, I then worked for some guys who were some analytical scientists who were setting up uh, testing labs. So it was very much like, you know, in Vegas, if you if you need a lab, um, you know, talk to these guys and they'll get you set up on the uh, science side. Um, there was limited bandwidth with those guys. So pretty quickly, I hit my buddy Doug up, who we used to sell some sour diesel back in the day together. Um, at that point, he was working at the Chalice Festival, and it was, it was his event. It was the Hitman Chalice Festival. Um, so I said, hey, man, uh, I'm um, looking for some work. You know, I, I'm not sure if Oakland's really doing it for me. That's where I was living at the time. And he said, get your ass down to L.A. Absolutely throwing you into the fire right now. And that was in 2017. Um, and that's the last time Chalice happened. That was the mm-hmm. pinnacle of the prop 215 days where it was like yo it was fucking crazy it was a giant trap festival it was basically um it was a lot of fun and there are some things that stuck out to me culturally um we brought in 50 glass blowers just to have glass blowers alley Mm -hmm. just to highlight what is an american art movement um it was an exceptional event and that's where i really got hooked um was after the chalice festival i got to meet People at Jungle Boys, Alien Labs, a lot of people nice. who are still in the space and, and uh, add their numbers to my phone. And, um, you know, when the opportunity to do this tissue culture work came up, I had some people I could reach out to and say, hey, how important are genetics to you? What piece uh, do they play in this puzzle of, you know, having a brand? Um, so while I was not um, like involved in the tissue culture space, I was able to ask people questions around genetics and get exposed to this culture that was booming. That was like an unbelievable experience to so be a part this... of. And, and more than anything, it was an event that I really wanted to be at. I was like putting on an event that I also wanted to attend, which to me is like, um, it's the best when you can do those two things together. So is this kind of the, like, um, like the fire lit beneath you to kind of, is like this where node is kind of like planted the idea or like, is this kind of where you get to that or. Uh, so a little bit, I mean, working side by side with Doug um, inspired me to see how far I could take it um, because Doug didn't have doubts. He was like, yo, I can do this just because I believe I can do this. And it was a major festival with like 30,000 people and 400 vendors and like a million dollar talent budget. It was wild just because he's like, who else is going to do this? And that feeling carried over with me. Um, very specifically, um, I, uh, I was looking uh, for work before Chalice, came across a Craigslist post about looking for a tissue culture scientist. 
And I sent that Craigslist post to my future co-founder, Chris Levitt, saying, hey, don't you do tissue culture for the state of California? Um, so he had been in touch with some guys, um, some traditional market guys on Craigslist around tissue culture. Um, and so the seeds were planted there. I was still in L.A. I was still doing the festival, but I was um, Chris's like uh, boots on the ground slash general counsel when it comes to opportunities in cannabis. Um, we grew up in the same hometown, um, but really as that opportunity for him to do tissue culture for cannabis became more real, um, he was getting on the phone with me and, and just wanting to um, learn about the opportunities that the industry had. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So how did you, um, how did you actually end up meeting Chris? So uh, Chris and I went to high school together. Got it. Um, wow. So, um, you know, my mother taught his sister piano. We were never close, but we always had overlap in our circle of friends and someone who I, I could be friendly with and I knew was doing tissue culture. Um, ultimately, the project came together when Chris was offered a job to do tissue culture for these traditional market guys. Uh, one of the co-founders at the time um, heard Chris was about to accept a position and said, Dan, get on the phone with this dude. Do not let him accept this position. Um, I hopped on with Chris. I said, it's going to take a little bit longer, but you're not going to doubt that you're doing it with the right people. You'll feel safe. It'll be above board. This isn't going to be some trap spot in Oakland. Who knows when the police are going to knock the door down. Um, and that was convincing enough for him to say, okay, I'm going to say no to this job, but let's start putting the pieces together. Really in that moment is when nodes started coming together. Um, I was still in, I was back in Boston after the festival. Uh, and it was shortly thereafter that I moved to California to try to get this project on the ground in the soon to be prop 64 space. Okay. So, so it's you, it's Chris, you guys, it's 2017. Cause I, that was the first and only chalice I went to. Cause we, I moved down to California right in that year. Right. And I think I told you the story before, but I, I think I came down with like 50 pounds of Bubba Kush and like <laughs> maybe 25 pounds of like fruity pebbles. And I think I sold like 80% of it before I got through line, you know, um, just because it was just, it was, well done, like, it was just, it was just that easy to do back then. That's awesome. Uh, you know, and it was like, they were, there was hot, freshly trimmed, I think two or three days before that. But I mean, I definitely remember, I remember being, cause there was nothing like that existed before, you know, um, and no one had done it yet. I mean, cops were just walking around us doing that. So yeah. how do you get from chalice and meeting with Chris? You guys went to high school together, your mom taught him piano. How do you guys then bring where, when does, cause I know Felipe obviously pretty well and Lauren, you know, and they've gotten to know the team. Well, when does that team start kind of getting formed and pulling together? Sure. So, um, after the chalice festival happened, I went back to the East coast and was kind of like, wait, is that it? Am I just like back in Boston now? Like what the fuck? Um, and well, so the chalice as is part of, of a my temporary job. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chalice ended. I spent another few days in L.A. I, I looked at the writing on the wall, which was I was going to be a waiter in L.A. And I was like, this is not at all what I've signed mm -hmm. up for. Um, so I went back to Boston. Um, but as part of my educating Chris about decent people in cannabis, I connected him with Evan Tenenbaum, uh, one of the co-founders. Evan, I had met when I was in the music tech space. He was at SoundCloud. I, I had started a, a project called Group Tones, which connected musicians locally for playing together. 
And I had seen on LinkedIn, he was making moves in the legal cannabis space. So I had connected Chris with Evan. Um, Evan and uh, Evan introduced Chris to Felipe. And we kind of just kept the dialogue going among the four of us. Um, and, you know, I was still on the East Coast. All of them were in the Bay Area. I was back in back in Boston. And um, that's when the Tubbs fires happened mm-hmm. in Sonoma County. Um, Felipe was going to be an early investor uh, and, and get the project off the ground. Um, I got a call from him, I think, October 12th, 2017, as the fires were still ongoing. And he said, my house just burned down. I just lost everything. I'm going to land on my feet. I don't have money to invest, but we'll figure it out. Get on the next plane to California. Hmm. And at that point, I was Austin and was like, man, what am I doing here? Like, what's it going to take for me to just go all in and, and just get out to California? Hmm. Um, that phone call was that that um, was that little kick that I needed. Um, the next day, I was on a flight to California. So I had never met Felipe in person. Um, I'd met Evan once or twice. Um, but I landed in California without, you know, adequate clothing with an apartment and a car parked on the street, still in Boston. And, uh, yeah, it it was just kind of off to the races from there. Um, it took a little while to get our first check, um, shout out Adam Liebman for being such a stud (laughs) and getting us our first check into the, into the project. And, you know, um, it's been an evolution ever since. Um, after that first check, we moved forward on a lease uh, on a space that was uh, growing medical cannabis. So it was part of the pre, uh, pre-existing pre operators in Sonoma County where you were grandfathered into operating a cannabis business. Mm-hmm. And what year um, was this? This was a location. 2017. 2017. Oh, okay, great. So like basically, right, you, 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 how long were you actually back in Boston before you got that call to come back to Cali? Couple months. Couple months. Okay. Like it, yeah, yeah. I I left um, like late July. I left L.A. and then by mid October, I was back in California. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, we we signed the lease, which started January first, twenty eighteen. We didn't have the lab built until May of twenty eighteen. Wow. So the R and D didn't start until uh, May sixteenth, twenty eighteen. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, so it was wild. And in the early days, so just over five years, know. you guys celebrated five years last month, huh? That's nice. very cool. Yeah, congrats. Cool. Yeah. Congrats. The time goes, man. It's been such a lovely evolution. People don't question tissue culture now, but back in the day, everyone was like, that's some voodoo shit. Like, <laughs> get out of here. Like, I don't, like, not even going to work for cannabis. Like I tried tissue culture and it doesn't work. So it's like, okay. Um, so yeah, certainly, what a, what a uh, broad thing to say. Yeah. That's uh... <laughs> It was wild. Um, but early on, we, we did land some key clients because we were some of the first people to be offering it. Um, hats off to Chris Levitt for holding the line. Even though I was uh, certainly pressuring him to deliver plants early, he was like, dude, I can't ensure that this is clean. Like this isn't a sound product yet. So we did have to spend quite a bit of time just learning how to do plant tissue culture for cannabis. And um, ultimately like... Um, not delivering plants as early as we wanted, but making sure what we were delivering was actually of sound quality. I'm curious, like, what is the what is the timeline on something like that? Like now versus when you guys were first? Is it just fairly like quick or? It's gotten a lot better. <laughs> um, yeah, generally we say three to six months uh, to get a plant 
into tissue culture and then out of tissue culture verified as a clean, stable product. Sometimes it could take longer. Um, Hoplatin virus takes a year plus. And even then, it's not guaranteed results. You do need to verify your results with a lot, a lot, with quite a bit of testing. Um, but it's usually three to six months. At that point, we just weren't even getting plants through the system. Um, so we've gotten a lot better. The fastest we've done is just under 40 days, but that's an exception. That's absolutely not standard. Wow. Yeah, it's, um, again, a space that has grown quite a bit. Um, in the early days, it was literally like, does it even work? And, um, you know, at that point, we were just offering services. Um, the goal was to produce a shitload of plants at scale. We're going to make a million plants and sell them for five bucks a piece, and we'll make them for two bucks a piece. We have shifted quite a bit since then. Um, well, because that's, really, of- that's really, really where the deviation occurs in TC, right? You and I have talked about this a lot, and it's kind of breeding and clean stock and then micropropagation, right? Which is a lot of where like Driscoll's has, you know, moved the TC needle forward as you know, like they, they, they plant everything by hand, but it was raised in a lab, right? Could you kind of go into that differentiation and, and just kind of help, you know, people who are, you know, curious about this, understand kind of why the process is sure. different and what the focus is of the two. Sure. Um, yeah, so there's two main directions, like you said, that you can go in tissue culture. Um, the first direction that we saw um, was producing a shitload of plants. Um, and you can only do that of a limited number of varieties. Um, very similar um, to regular propagation, where if you have a shit, if you have a limited amount of mother space and you have a hundred varieties, you can produce way fewer cuttings than if the same amount of space with only 10 varieties. Um, so that's, that's really the, the, the crux of having to choose a direction in tissue culture. Mass micropropagation is only efficient when you're producing a lot of the same variety, um, which is one way to go. So if you have a tissue culture facility just, just dedicated to SFVOG, you'll be hyper efficient. The challenge that we saw in the market was then everyone was growing the same type of weed. Mm. So there was a tissue culture company that was putting a ton of genetics into the market. So everyone was growing wedding pie. Everyone was growing Sunday driver. As a result, the prices are going down and people aren't competing on uh, variety. They're just competing on price. So while that was initially the goal, we moved in the other direction, which is that same number of plants, but divided amongst a huge variety. So while Tissue culture and micropropagation is certainly how to do a shitload of plants efficiently. We're more in the genetic preservation space where we hold a massive library of genetics for breeding, um, for licensing, for for getting the clients who want uh, to be growing something different than their competitors. Um, But we're able to do some work that um, I think micropropagation at scale struggles with um, because you don't have that really big library of genetics. So it's genetic preservation and stabilization with a really large variety or mass production of a limited number of strains. And uh, yeah, given where the market was headed that we've seen a couple times with prices just going down, um, we wanted to focus on diversity. I mean, that makes a ton of sense to me. And I mean, I think at some point you do have to choose that differentiation, right? And you have to end up putting kind of tracks in the road because there is such time 
uh, indications that are wrapped around solving these problems. Could you kind of maybe go into some more detail around what your what from a, a scientific process and maybe as much as you can details in the lab that kind of differentiate those two processes? Sure. Um, yeah, the, the, there's basically four stages to tissue culture, which is initiating, meaning bringing something that is out living in the world, ex vitro, as it's re referred to, and bringing it in vitro. So taking a mother plant, dissecting it, and starting the process of putting it in gel. The second stage is multiplication, where let's say you have 100 plants. They're going to grow up. You're going to micropropagate them, and that 100 is going to turn into 250. So the second stage is multiplication. The third stage is rooting, where you go, okay, of those 250 plants, let's take 150 and root them, and then keep our base 100 plant stock so we can multiply that again. The fourth stage is um, acclimatization, which is now taking that plant and hardening it for the real world um, and having it be an environment that isn't so coddled like you have in the laboratory. Um, one of the challenges with cannabis and tissue culture is that this plant clones so easily. It's very easy to propagate the old fashioned way. And any, um, I don't know how to put this, any characteristics of the plant in the real world, you see an incredible amount in vitro. As an example, Skittles is very difficult in the real world. It's also very difficult in vitro. Same thing with the Y. Um, and so you do see, um, you, you can assess plants in veg and start to um, conclude how the plant will perform in tissue culture as well. Uh, but there, within those four different steps, there's a whole lot of uh, different nutrient recipes. There's a different, a lot of different processes. Um, the first one is when you do that initiation, are you doing a node segment, which is a stem with some growth? Where you're doing meristem dissection, which is the the earliest new development, um, and meristem dissection is 100% the way to go. It's takes longer because you're starting a plant from what can be like a tenth of a centimeter across and have to wait for that to grow. Um, but a node segment, um, it still has the vasculature system, so the the material will not be clean itself. Mm. Um, one of the big mistakes I see made with tissue culture is that people mask the symptoms of plants. They don't draw out the problems. Yes. So you can have a node segment. Um, in, in the early days, we were doing node segments. And after like three and a half months in vitro, all our plants went south. And that's because the bacteria that was living in there finally started to come out and grow. And so at that point, we multiplied and created a lot of plants and had to throw them all away. So um, meristem dissection is absolutely the way to go just to ensure that your stock will be clean and you're not um, continuing to grow a plant in gel, but with the same problems that it had before it was in vitro. Wow. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense and appreciate you kind of going into detail on those four, uh, those four steps of the process. So, um, you know, it, it, so explain to me, and again, this is also, um, I'm asking you these two is just kind of also to in layman's terms as much as possible too for the uh, kind of average listener but you know i think you've seen and you and i talk about this a lot on our own but there's the, the revolution of home tc kits right and one thing that you and i sure. kind of joke about is like just because you're taking a clone and rooting it in in media or gel doesn't make it tissue culture could you kind of explain that in detail for people so you know before they go and spend two or three thousand dollars on a home test kit and think they're cleaning their genetics up Sure. Um, yeah. So um, 
there's certain things that you don't want to use in tissue culture, such as antimicrobials. This will hide the problems. So you look at your plant in gel and it looks healthy, but you've just scrubbed it. You've just washed it, but the plants are still baked in. The the challenges are still baked into it. Um, So I know that there's certain kits on the market that only do node segments. Um, With that vascular system, it still is carrying the issues of the mother plant or whatever clone it originated from. Meristem dissection, uh, which is a very, very small um, dissection of the plant material, um, ensures that you don't have that vasculature. So it's not going to be connected and have those same problems of the plant that it came from. So I I do think that uh, tissue culture as a hobby, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely a great, you know, home brewing is also a comparison <laughs> yeah, that yeah. I would make where it's a great hobby. You're most likely still going to go to the store to buy whatever beer you want to drink. Yep. It's not a substitute. Um, doing this at a commercial level has a whole lot of challenges that, um, you know, you, you just don't experience when you're doing it as a hobbyist. I would encourage people to try it as a hobby, but just, you know, don't depend on it because you you, you might have results that are not um, great until you've done it for six, eight, 10, 12 months. Um, and again, um, you know, great as a hobby, but to put commercial requirements on some on something like that is very, very challenging. No, that makes a ton of sense. And um, I, I was joking with uh, a few other people in the industry about this as well of, um, you know, you just, it's, you're just because you're propagating in a gel, it doesn't remove the issues. Oftentimes what I've seen as well is it's exactly like you kind of mentioned the theme so far has been is, is, um, is when do you actually put the plant up to rigor? And that's when you actually see what the plant is going to be able to do or put up with really. So, all right. So Dan, I want to keep going a little bit more on kind of the process overview. Obviously you and I have been working together, uh, for quite a while. We've, probably taken in 40 or 50 different genetics now uh with a few different businesses um and one of the things that i always i know i get so many questions on from my team is how you prepare and actually send the cuts and how they arrive right so coming in the test tube and they have that you know kind of hardened encasement kind of around the roots there at the end of it um could you explain that process of preparation and kind of what's going in in there oh man um as much as you can tell us without being, you know, yeah, sure. proprietary I mean, information. <laughs> uh, definitely. Um, what I can say is that the plants that you guys receive have been pre-acclimated, which means they can be used in a commercial grow environment a lot faster. We have uh, figured out a way where um, we're able to essentially get the plant used to being in life outside of the test tube uh, ahead of time. Um, And so what you get is ultimately a product that is ready to plug and play. If someone has been in a propagation nursery, they will look at a plant and be like, okay, that's root development about to happen, plug it in. Um, But that's because of a process that um, the the lab team hats off to them for developing a product that was very, very friendly. Um, In the early days when we were looking at delivering product, it required um, certain equipment at our client's facility to be able to handle the product that we were delivering. And that was unacceptable. Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to sell you something and the first thing I have to do is teach you a new skill, like I, we're, we're losing. <laughs> so our particular product is been in vitro its entire life. 
Um, it just shows up in a way where um, a format that people are used to handling, where you can just simply plug and play, have it root and turn into your grandmother stock, as we call it. Um, our product is so good. You can use it to make an army of moms of. If you want to just turn them into moms, absolutely. I personally recommend uh, against flowering plants from tissue culture uh, direct for a number of reasons. Uh, but our product is is really beautiful and it's really nice to have a format um, where people are used to handling it and it doesn't require any additional expertise, staff members or equipment on the on the other side of it. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's it's actually it's one of my favorite things about working with your specific TC product is because it's like whenever it lands, you know, they, the plants look just tiny, you know, and sometimes they look, I mean, almost weak or uh, especially comparatively to people who are used to cloning from a mother plant, right? And it's it's a pretty vigorous cut that you take, um, you know, and that you plug usually, and it's usually eight inches or so, and then these come in, they're like one and a half inches, and they have like three little starter leaves on them, uh, and then they explode, you know? I mean, they're some of the biggest plants in the bedroom after, you know, a week or 10 days. Um, you know, they, they get up potted faster, um, transplanted faster. And so it really is interesting to kind of see that play out. Um, where do you kind of see the next steps of kind of taking that technology and what do you think are some of the gaps for improvement there? Sure. Um, I mean, tissue culture is a, is a broad set of practices within the range of tissue culture. Um, the stuff that we're doing doesn't really, um, it's just such a small percentage of what tissue culture can do. Usually tissue culture is the first step also to doing some pretty intense breeding. Um, you can cause mutations in the plant and then assess what mutations it caused. Um, that's some stuff that we've started doing, but our focus is really on it being the same product coming out that went in. Um, however, I have been able to visit some labs of people who are doing like phenomenal work non-cannabis and tissue culture is just one of those components you have a tissue culture lab you also have a microbiology lab you're intentionally manipulating the plant to get better results out of it and that's something that we're just seeing in cannabis um, one of the parts of cannabis becoming uh, more accepted both locally and globally is that there's a lot of talent that's going to be coming into the industry um, there's people in Florida with serious experience with citrus that I, I'm, it's like, come on in. We, we want to be able to work with you and learn from you as much as we can and definitely meet in the middle because cannabis is a challenging plant. Um, but I just love that there's all this brain power and talent that is doing some of the, uh, broader tissue culture work that we just haven't seen much of in cannabis. Um, to date, you don't really want to cause mutation. You want it to be the same Girl Scout cookie in your garden that it was uh, when it went into the lab. Um, but really, um, the the advanced scientific breeding aspect is is like super, super early days, especially when you uh, add plant tissue culture as part of it. Nice. Yeah, that, that's that's something that like I was when Mikey mentioned you coming on the podcast as a guest I, something i wanted to ask is kind of like your perspective on like how like with legalization moving forward and you know you've been kind of watching like the genetic you know i guess timeline or evolution i guess for cannabis in general like what is your 
like what is your like opinion i guess or perspective on like the future of i guess like genetics and cannabis with like legalization and how because i feel like there's certain like a brand will associate with a flavor and then they kind of you know well that'll be the face of what they do what they're putting out there is kind of like a like a fruity or a gas or something you know there's like like what do you think about that in terms of like where you're at in the industry yeah i mean we we are focused primarily on recreational products high thc high terpene bag appeal flavors that people really enjoy um and there are other needs of the cannabis plant um cbd was the first thing that we saw where all of a sudden this industry blew up and then you know um retracted in a short amount of time um, but there's a lot more that you can do with cannabis besides just getting stoned and and playing video games which i certainly am a big fan of um russia has been super deep in the hemp space in the like cannabis as an agricultural product not simply um you know uh something to change your your state of mind um and so i think we have been focused on highest thc we have been focused on terpene content and i love it for that for what it is, which is something we enjoy. Um, but there's a whole other area that we're just starting to see some of those um, projects get off the ground. Um, I think in terms of the genetic diversity and the future of cannabis, I'm super optimistic. Like 15, 20 years ago, you would get arrested for leaving notes at a coffee shop about how to grow weed. Like no joke, people are in jail for leaving notebooks in places you wouldn't discuss it over the phone. The circle stayed incredibly tight and for good reason. Um, nowadays, there's Instagram, which is just weed showcase all day. Mm -hmm. um, the forums are still decently active. Um, and so there is a lot more exchange of genetics happening than ever before. People used to get a cut and protect it for 15, 20, 25, 30 years, never release it. Um, some of these breeders who are in those positions um, are, are saying yes to projects that I, I, I didn't expect that they would say yes to because the genetics have been so protected. So we are entering a new phase where people are texting about it, phone calling about it, sending photos to each other, sharing notes, sharing genetics and breeding projects and seeds. So I see there as a new collaborative landscape um, for cannabis genetics, because again, the access to seeds from the Middle East, it's on your phone. Like it's very easy to get genetic diversity and start working with those pools where 15, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, it was not so accessible. So I'm super optimistic. I think that some of the targets will change the, the further away from just the highest THC possible. Um, that, that will be really interesting to see what other forms of cannabis emerge with interesting terpenes and interesting profiles. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, overall, I'm I'm very excited to be working at this point where, um, you know, there is uh, international cannabis supply chain challenges that people are just starting to solve and people are now growing genetics in Colombia. So now we have to be breeding and selecting for Colombia. Same thing wow. with Hawaii. Same thing with um, Australia. Um, so it, it's going to go from something that was very, very closeted to something that people can be very out in the open about. Um, and it is exciting for me. You can still get a lot of amazing work done in a couple tents, like to, to start breeding and to 
to drive results, it doesn't require millions of dollars in infrastructure. It requires like a three by three tent and just a couple cycles in a row Time. to get to results that you want. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very, um, I don't know. I'm just thrilled to be working at a time when we can talk about it on the phone mm-hmm. and like not have these same security concerns. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And uh, I mean, the fact that we can do a podcast about it, right? Um, Pretty wild. Yeah, and, yeah, seriously. And it really wasn't that long ago, um, you know, when we all had two phones, right? Like it was within the last few years um, and I would never have done something like this. I mean, I was so slow to take Instagram on um, and start posting anything up on that because I came from, you know, a, a different generation like many of us did, but I'm, I'm happy that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, all right. Well, I mean, what... I'm in New York currently and at Washington square park, people are selling not only weed at the park, they're selling clones and seeds like wow. right there with the cops 15 steps away. And it's like, hundred dollars for a gorilla glue phone. Here you go. And it's like, okay. Wow. So it's just a new set of rules that I'm not used to. Um, and that's a lot of why I like to go out and visit these different areas where cannabis is becoming more accepted uh, because there are these different versions of um, how the cultures are handling it. And people are, are approaching um, these projects that were, were never possible before. No, nah, man, that makes that makes total sense. So I uh, I'm curious, and kind of one of my one of my last questions for you here is 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 so what do you what is kind of what is Node focused on today, and what sure. are you guys kind of looking at to define the future for your business and really for for genetics? Yeah, um, so today we're focused on recreational cannabis. We are focused on effects based cannabis that also has the aesthetic and the aroma. Um, I love that there's better language emerging about how to talk about categories other than indica and sativa and hybrid. Yes. It's yes. just escaping that, which is great. Um, we have got in into conversations with a couple groups that are doing uh, specific targeted therapies using cannabinoids. Um, one of the reasons I feel still optimistic is having talked to these guys they don't care about recreational cannabis. They need as high as possible CBN as they can. They're growing fields of it. It's for a specific uh, pulmonary disease. So you're now having targeted therapies that are that are very, very uh, specific to uh, ailments that people are suffering from with phenomenal results. This isn't, um, you know, pharma or people coming in to mess with dispensaries or mess, mess with recreational stuff. But there is a new wave of people pushing true medical cannabis and drug discovery um, with cannabinoids that is fascinating. Um, that's not the focus of our work. I think in the future that will become more of, of our work is to um, get those minor cannabinoids and those other um, terpenes and other desirable qualities in cannabis. But right now our focus is really on like the best pot possible. Mm-hmm. Like when you go into a room, you're looking at a bunch of bags, you're going to the dispensary, you're like, yo, this is. When do you think that changes? Because I mean, I mean, I know because you and I talk about this a lot. I know you guys are also doing international work, too. And I think that yep. the big trend in most of the international spirits, because because it's like even even me, I've done, you know, a, quite a few grows outside of the U.S. that were, you know, it's purely CBD based. Right. And what they're doing is they're setting up you know, on-site extraction 
making purified compounds and extracts and then shipping them out. There's, you know, obviously Marinol, quite a few different other pharmaceuticals. So, so I think there's this, there's already been the creation of this to subdivision into biomass for extraction. Right. But primarily, you know, the, the, the culture, right. The, the actual value for per pound is in the sellable flour, the bag appeal flour. Right. Um, um, do you guys think, do you think node labs ever moves away from that? Or do you guys kind of think that your you will remain always holding and 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 really standing up that that quality flower aspect while supporting some more of the subsidiary brands and ancillary products i think the ancillary products are, are always going to be secondary to what we do yep. like people who really appreciate the flower the plant hash both bho and solventless and you know um so I think because that's really in our core DNA, we're always going to be focused on a product that consumer wants from smoking a joint. Um, I think we'll also be adding additional products, um, just different targets as opposed to recreational targets, but, uh, more therapeutic targets. I don't think that's ever going to be the majority of our work. Um, and certainly the landscape evolves so quickly Um I, I don't know what the demands from those types of customers would be. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple conversations where I can say, cool, CBN in as highest concentration as possible. I suspect that uh, a couple conversations further is like, okay, where is this plant going to be grown? Like literally latitude, longitude, like w- w- how hot is it? What's the humidity like? And so I think it's going to be a couple years until those really have more of a focus around them. Um, our identity is always going to be in creating a product where the, where I, again, where I'm a fan of it. If I open a bag of our weed and I'm like, this is fire. Great. If I'm like, I don't know if I like it, it's a no. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so baked into who we are as people. I, I don't think that's ever going to come secondary. Well, I mean, and, and it makes so much sense, right? And one thing we kind of really haven't even touched on, um, which I would love for you to kind of speak to for a few minutes at least is, and I, I want to be conscious of your time here on a, on a Sunday with your family, um, is really the node and compound relationship, right? I think sure. sometimes people don't realize that you guys are the same business, right? I think yeah. obviously there was some drama that kind of happened this year and you guys have really kind of turned the page on the, on the other side of that. Where does that, where does the, the node compound relationship kind of cross over and sure. what are you guys, what are you excited for on the compound branded relationship? Yeah. So in, in 2018, uh, Chris Lynch joined node labs. It was really a one plus one equals three or four or five situation that was really like, the the underground cannabis scene and collection meets scientific rigor and and what products we can we create from there so um we, we definitely have done phenomenal work by having that hardcore genetic bank attention to the culture finger on the pulse of what's going to be hot and what people what is desirable in the space meets the heady science um and you know, Node is more agnostic. Um, we work with a whole bunch of breeders. Um, you know, Compound Genetics, obviously, we, we do some great work. Skittles does great work. Tiki Madman does great work. Um, lesser known. Yep. Panorado, Dragonflame Genetics. Like, there are there are people who are, you know, have their 3 by 3 and 4 by 4 tents and are making phenomenal products. And so Node gives us an opportunity to be more agnostic and to work with whoever is making fire. And that's where... Um, 
I, I personally love being able to build relationships with these breeders, understand if they're making hash, that's their targets. If they're growing for pure indoor flower, those are their targets. Um, but really work with a whole cast of people who, um, in some cases, um, need a little help navigating the new landscape that exists. Um, but it's really amazing to be able to cover both sides, to be agnostic and, and do tissue culture work for alien labs and connected and completely separately be bringing genetics to market uh, under compound. It's pretty wild. Um, under the compound stuff that I'm most excited about, um, there's a menthol collection that will be dropping soon, which I'm very, very yeah. stoked with. Um, there's a couple selections we've made that are really like modern OGs. Um, there's an SFV by Jokers. That I'm, whoa, whoa, that's going to be good. Yeah, It's great. And we're just wrapping up our, our final selections of that. Um, so I know Compound has been made for um, the hype purple dessert sweet category. And I look forward to adding a couple more distinct categories that we're going to include through Compound. Um, there is a market for citrus. It's probably not in California. Mm -hmm. um, there is a market for OGs. Um, so really, I'm looking forward to expanding these different profiles that Compound is known for and presenting. Um, there are some oranges that I'm very excited to present. There's some OG work that I'm super excited to present. Um, so more outside of a specific strain, I want to work within that new language that's emerging of genetics according to terpene profile and like literally like attack it for what is the best representation that we can find in these different categories. So uh, yeah, the SFV by jokers to get very specific is like um, phenomenal product. That's oh, going to be oh, a banger. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you and I talk about that a lot, right? I think so much, especially right when I was kind of leaving Cali in 2021, 20, 22. I mean, it was just the, it was just the exotic dessert bake, fresh baked revolution you know um i mean just the variations of frozens and ice creams and cookies um and cereals and the milks and all that sort of stuff i mean which i love don't get me wrong i think cookies and like especially the pink cookies cross and a triangle i mean that would be one of my favorites for forever right where do you kind of see the pendulum swinging now where, where do you kind of see the trends what are the trends in the west coast that you're seeing right now and what sure. are you seeing kind of kind of that's that's hot in the east coast Sure. Um, on the East Coast, um, there are a lot of players from the West Coast coming out here and, and trying to uh, bring influence as well. Um, generally, the East Coast, uh, there's room for the hazes, there's room for chems, there's room for sours, and this whole like sweaty wristband type of like stinky GMO leaning aroma. There's just a lot more room for that on the East coast than the West coast. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to see some of these underground guys start to emerge and be on their phones more and be seen more bringing like killer gas to the market on the East coast. Cause there's a ton of that. Um, there's also some piffs and some sours running around uh, in New York. So finding the best version of that will be interesting. Um, but I will say the East Coast does reject a lot of what the West Coast produces because they have their own cannabis identity. Um, you know, just as an example, OGs didn't really catch on on the East Coast. They just right. didn't. Um, we had chems and we had sours. So versions of that is what caught on faster than certain OGs. Did. 
Uh, I remember when we got like master Kush on the East coast, it was like impossible to move that product. It's a really good product. Right. It was just not what the market wanted to bear. Um, on the West coast, one, one trend that I am seeing that I don't have a good solve for is added terpenes to flower, which is such a bummer that it's at that point where people are like, Adding are cannab- cannabis ter- derived at least, or are people doing botanicals like the uh, like? We, like, we uh, can hope it's cannabis. Yeah, remember the cotton we candy cookies. Can it's you well, remember it's, the um. So a lot of it is like I think it's added to like pro like other product like manufactured product, you know, like uh mm-hmm. like pre rolls and blunts and stuff like that. And so there's that's like the so what I have part. What I have seen recently is. Um, weed with terps baked in. So it's like five different pounds, all the same weed. This one smells like oranges. This one smells like grapes. This one smells like lemon cherry gelato. And you put an eighth of it in a bag and you smell it. And you're like, yo, this smells like fucking not, it shouldn't smell this much like candy. Like this is too on nose candy. And so that is a, a, a trend that hopefully we buck pretty quickly I really hope we don't have to get into the space where we say no terps added to our flower. Um, and I'm totally about a wet mango blunt every so often just for the nostalgia, you know? Um, well, but- it's funny cause there's been versions of this now. I mean, I remember when I first got down to Cali, I'm not going to name the celebrity group that I was working with, but his favorite strain at the time was literally cookies that was being infused with, candy with bubblegum flavoring right i think you know who i'm talking about and i even showed their team that it was that it was how to produce it i made it in front of them you know and i got like yelled at because of that you know and they and then i had to sit there and set up four different r&d tents trying to introduce the the fake terpene (laughs) into the plant hydroponically you know as if that was going to work as if that's how it works scientifically or anything like that it was just insane and then even when we used to work together michael and i we've worked on quite a few different products and again i'm not trying to call anybody out in the industry but uh, uh, for white label brands, right? People who don't have access to their own biomass, mm-hmm. they're desperate to differentiate their brand, right? They're buying the same smalls that everybody else is from the same large scale white debt producers. And then what are they doing? They're blending it and then mixing it with fake terps, botanical terps to come up with their own flavor profiles. Like this is happening rampantly and has been for a while, but usually it's been held to more cheap right ancillary products like pre-rolls or shake skews or vapes right but you're saying it's happening in the whole flower eights now uh not just eights like pounds oh like it's a lot, a lot of the oh, so it's a lot bad. of the, the the trap world is taking yeah a lot of the trap world is taking weed that looks awesome it doesn't have much aroma and literally baking in terpenes and it's what people want to buy, man. It, it's a bummer. And I'm really trying to take the opinion. I'm really trying to hold the line of like, maybe, like maybe that's okay. Mm-hmm. It really hurts me. I don't think it's okay, but I'm trying to like iterate that I, I, I'm not sure why it's something I need to explore, I guess. Um, but I can tell you the first time I dabbed straight Terps was back at Chalice 2017. It didn't feel good. It was like <laughs> heavy. I remember, I remember those days. Yeah, hot Terp dabs. No thanks. Oh, Even still, I'm I'm like sensitive to it now. You know, yeah. after you get a couple of two Terp dabs, I've bought in Oregon. Um, Dan, I mean, you probably already know this, but they you, they have to put the terpene. Terpenes are required for third party testing, and so it's like you can go buy and you know Oregon. It's all just the biomass is so cheap there. You can go get 
you know, a gram of really, really good rosin. And now they're re-adding the terp. So it's like 18% terpene in there. It just like absolutely chokes you. Well, uh, uh, Hey man, Dan, I know we're running up. I it's, it's, I want to be conscious of your time. I know you're on the East coast there. Um, where can people find yeah, you? Plug your yeah. Media. How, yeah. How, please plug your socials. How can people follow you and, and learn more about what you're working on? Yeah, I'm on the other side of the Node Labs Instagram account, just at Node Labs. Um, so that's really the best way to reach me personally, um, as well as follow the work that we're doing. Um, we do have a couple other social channels, but Instagram is the best place where we're showcasing our work um, on a regular basis. Excellent. Well, uh, Dan, I can't thank you enough for your time. Um, I think you couldn't have thought of a better first guest for our show here. Um, again, um, you know, you and I have worked together a ton over the last couple of years and just, uh, really appreciate everything you're doing for the space. And, um, I think you and I are, are going to continue to do a lot together and appreciate you jumping on today, man. Yeah, seriously. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the time, man. Yeah. Michael, great to meet you. And thank you guys for having me on. I super appreciate, uh, the space to talk a, a little bit more in depth about all the work that goes into what we do. Hell yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, man. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. Ciao. All right, dude. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are uh, coming into our third and final segment here, Two Head, Five Head. Dude. Personally, um, incredible a- a episode. Couldn't, can't thank Dan enough for um, jumping on there with us and yeah. uh, his insights, his time. Uh, I think his outlook, his perspective, super unique. Um, and obviously, for any of you guys who aren't already following and checking out Node, and what that team is up to, you definitely should. Um, but uh, yeah, dude, uh, I am timing down. I have 15 seconds. I'm well, timing I'm gonna, down with right now. I'm gonna rip mine. I like, I, yeah, I'm smoking on some. Uh, uh, once again, dude, are you, are you ever gonna dab again? I am, dude. Do you think? I just, I, I start. I'm work, ever. I start up my new job tomorrow. So. <laughs> oh, dude! Congratulations. That's right, dude. First day. So. First day. Oh, oh. <laughs> but I've been on the hard pot. Just yeah. <laughs> Woo! Oh yeah, I'm smoking on some Cap Junkie Live Raws. I like that Cap Junkie strain. That's a good one, dude. Yeah, it's something I've seen in the mix a couple different times. I'm a fan. Yeah, you know me, big gas man. Yeah, that's I'm for uh, sure. I'm smoking on some Tres Leches today. <coughs> from, Ooh. from Good Flower. Um, which is, yeah. Yeah, you like those guys? Yeah. Uh, I saw, I think when I started like a year ago, maybe even longer, started going to, I was going to the reef down in Seaside, and I was buying, because I kept seeing their packaging, and now they've just been consistently... They moved to the Mylar, but they're still, the flower is still good and consistent in the inside. Everybody's so. moving to the Mylar, dude. Yeah. We're going to be moving to the Mylar. Yep, it's a, it's a trend. All right, are you ready to get into these fucking clips, dude? Dude, I am, and we open with the two-head. So Honestly, I to the ahead. people listening, if you're sticking with us and you're still hanging around in the two-head, five-head part of the podcast, you guys are special people, and we you appreciate really you guys. Cause the, we appreciate you guys, and, I mean, really, it's for you guys. 
Yeah. This is why we curate these clips. This I haven't, is why yeah. I spend <laughs> I spend this time bookmarking these and saving these. Um, I haven't seen these yet, so this is like it's, I don't show Michael these. It's for you guys, but you guys, it's also for me too. <laughs> I just like, and I gotta talk about that too because for everybody that's out there, like you know, when you find a really good video, and that like that feeling you get, it like starts in your toes, you know. And like works its way up through your shins and your knees. Your heart starts jumping and skipping a beat because you're ready to send this incredible video to one of your homies. And you're just so excited to see their reaction. You're like, oh my God, like I know this is going to make them laugh. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I can't wait. I don't get that. Okay. I don't get that feeling anymore. I get these clips and, and they're so dark. I could, there's only a handful of people I can send them to. And then the one guy I know I can send them to, the one guy I know I can send them to, I can't because I can't show them to him until this episode. So what you guys are seeing, <laughs> what you guys are witnessing, right? And part of the reason why maybe you hear me laugh harder than I've ever had before or why I sound like I might <laughs> die at any point in time is because I've been waiting to show this man these, these clips. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And so... If it sounds like you know I laugh a little too hard or something like that, it's because it's all built up. I'm gonna have it's to all chop pent up. I want to. I want to clip what you just said, and then I just want to chop up all the laughter. <laughs> I, just, I might have to do that. <laughs> oh. So anyway, it's exciting. Well, let's go. Which one? Okay, what are we doing first? Let me. Uh, let's go. I want to show you five head. Um, so click, yeah, go into the two dabs, click. I want to tell you about this guy named Russ cook who I've been following recently. Um, big shout out to Russ cook. Which one this, is this guy, one? it's, uh, it's in the five head there. Russ kick. He's the hardest geezer. Okay. Um, that's what his Instagram handle is. Um, I'm not going to tell you exactly what this guy is doing, but he has been firing me the fuck up, um, recently. Day 43. Of riding the entire length of Africa, delighted to report that I am no longer pissing blood today. I think it was just a one-off last night, to be honest. Went toilet, got the old boy out, just stream of blood coming out of the end of it. I was like, a bit mad, but I guess it's just because I'm depleting my body to almost empty on the daily 30 plus degrees African sunshine. Makes sense, but the game is the game. Getting plenty of water on today actually feeling pretty sharp to be honest despite all the recent drivers so gonna go and get another brick from my wall i hope you're all having a fantastic saturday and i will see you tomorrow <laughs> that is so crazy dude holy dude, shout fuck. out go follow hardest geezer on instagram this russ cook kid i've been following him kid i don't know maybe he's younger than me maybe he's older than me but um this guy is an absolute fucking mad lad. Uh, the definition. He's running the entire length of Africa, and it's not it's not straight up. So he's starting in the southern tip in South Africa, and he's running up to around the left along the entire western coast and then up and around around the Saharan Desert. So it's it's the longest it's the longest route. Oh um, wow. Yeah, you can see it there. Yeah. See how it goes up into the left there, and it goes. He goes. He has to go all the way to the coast because he starts getting into the Sahara, where it's it's so hot and so desolate that he could just die out there accidentally. Mm-hmm. You know, just die. Also, look at his leg sleeve. My man's absolutely yatted. 
Um, mm-hmm. He's sponsored by Hoka. Um, and this dude is a fucking monster. So big shout out to Russ Cook. This guy's been firing me up recently. Dude, yeah. Um, every time I feel like I, have, I don't want to go to the gym recently, I just I pop this up. And this guy's like, day 48 <laughs> of running the entire length of Africa. My feet are and gone. I have no feet left. I'm running on yes. nubs, but I'm still he going. Really, so <laughs> I showed you. And, and so he actually had to stop for a few days because the pissing blood got so bad. It came back that he had to go to a doctor and they had to run a bunch of tests. And it turned out that he didn't have anything that was actually going to kill him. So he just like chilled instead of running like 30 or 40 kilometers every day. He ran like 13 or 14 kilometers and just waited for his test results to come back. And then they came back and he's good to go. So now he's back just like hammering it (laughs) and he's just out there. So, um, yeah, big, big, big baller here. Um, I donate donated to his link tree. Um, so I'm yeah, dude. I'm all in. I'm all in with this with Russ Cook right now. So oh yeah, this guy's awesome. Yeah. Um. Okay. Okay. In two, the two head category. <laughs> Different energy here. <laughs> <laughs> the transition to the. So getting after it to fucking should we go to young Malibu? Should we just go right to young Malibu? Yo, <laughs> are we going to show the people young Malibu of Warak? I think should we do that first or should we do it? Wait, no. What's this? What's this bungee jump? I want, I want to kind of want to oh, bro. <laughs> Let's watch this bungee jump video. You are going to lose your fucking mind on this one, dog. <laughs> so, oh my God. Okay, no, so just pause it. No, uh-uh. I don't want to watch so, yeah, this. Yeah, that's perfect. No. That's perfect. You can see it right there. So I just, for ah! everybody, that's, anybody that can't see this right now, what you see is a guy who is going to bungee jump, and he has no shirt on at all. I don't want to watch this. <laughs> he has no harness on, and the reason why is because the bungees are tethered and anchored Dude, in, me, like, directly into the skin of his back. Tense up so much yeah uh, yeah so this guy is this guy is looking at probably a 300 400 foot bridge jump right now and the bungees are just tethered directly into the skin of his spine so you can press play now shout out i love it too the quote the i love it it says push your own limits yeah i, I don't Quotes. even think i can watch <laughs> how do you test if this is gonna work that's <laughs> the way Oh, are you jump? Yeah, all good. Okay. Wait. Oh, it's a parachute. One, oh, it's a parachute. Holy, dude! Nice. I thought this guy's skin was just gonna move. There's no way you bungee jump. There's no fucking I forgot, way. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. It's not a bungee jump. God, you have me. How stressed out I was. I was like, does this guy just die? parachutes to safety but still yeah look at that oh fully anchored into his back and then my man just parachutes to safety wow isn't that fucking crazy different kind of tissue culture that we're talking about right now (laughs) (laughs) 
whole different type. You got to make sure you got to make sure you're plugged deep on that, dude. That's rooted in there, dude. That is rooted for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Proprietary uh, technology. Okay. Okay, fuck. What's the next? Okay. Um sword fit sword dance. So this guy, this is Jason Fish. This is another <laughs> one of my finds. Add this to the list. <laughs> so I want to introduce everybody to Jason Fish. I don't know how I came across this guy. But he This is the most American thing I've ever seen. What is he doing? I think he's... He's like... Machete Ballet? (laughs) Balchette? Balchette! Look how fast he spins it. Also, oh. his poor dog is gonna get stabbed. Oh yeah, watch out, dog. He's even like, you see that he was like, oh, so dramatic at the end. Oh, so dramatic at the end. Oh, the, the picture of the end. Still frame. The stills. <laughs> this guy's a legend. This song rips too. Dude, yeah. Wait, hold on. Look, we didn't even. Okay, hold on. Let's read the fucking caption. Freedom at the farm. Ready? Question mark. What will be said at your funeral? How will your ancestors greet you? What have you done with your freedom? Who do you have to thank? What can you do now? Life can end at any time. Every day has meaning. You can't be perfect, but you can try. Make your mark. Do something selfless and kind today. Lit. Life in every breath. Dude, this yeah. is this is the fucking shit, dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Life in every yeah, breath. So. And it's Jeff Beck and Rod Stewart, People Get Ready, is the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jason, Jason's bringing a positive message. Dude. He is doing balchette. What, um, what are the comments? What are the comments on this? Um, I don't want to look at the comments because I'm vibing off his po- positivity sure, right yeah, now. Yeah, so. Probably, probably a lot so. of... This is so, honestly... Um, Dude, big shouts to Jason Fish. Don't this is one of the better. Mean, this is one of the better yeah. two heads that you've. This is like this is five. I would say this is five head. This guy's. Uh, this guy's. Are we gonna move this to the other category? This is, is a fi- this guy's five head, dude. This guy's five. So inspiring. <laughs> it is like just inspiring, the dude. the positivity. Like and like he's in his backyard. It looks like. You know what? Like the the how smooth how smooth, smooth the went into the garage, like, grabbed the machete. Pulled it out. So how dull? How dull is the machete from just dragging it on? Dragging on the ground. Yeah, you can see that. You can see on the end of it. It's just like worn away. Yeah, yeah. Like in the bright red shoes that match the shirt. Dude, I'm I'm into. Yeah, but then the 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 socks could be. The the socks are a little. They look like they're like sagging. Rolled down. No, they're they they, got those are fully like calf socks that have been pushed down. Mm. He's got the blue the blue heel on the sock, matches the the shirt really. Yeah, it's the brown belt and the khakis that are are yeah. are, are making me feel some type of way. There's just multiple dogs just, walking around. Yeah, dogs and 
the risk for the animals also is one of the more questionable pieces. I love the stabbing into the grass and then just the pose there. So elegant. With the, with how, how high his shorts go up his ass, too. That really just, just got us a wedgie the whole time. Could Full needs wedge. To. <laughs> Full <laughs> wedge. Uh, dude, <laughs> the beginning move. <laughs> okay, we have to move on, dude. Oh. To this, Jesus. Um, Let me close some of these. Okay, what are we watching next? Okay, so so maybe do let's let's show the people wrestling match. Young twist. Malibu. Should we save Malibu for show, the end? Are we saving Young Malibu for the end? Okay, What's better, the wrestling match twist or Malibu? I don't rem- I don't remember the wrestling match match twist. Okay, well, let's um, just watch I, it. I, I do think this one. <laughs> I do think this one's pretty insane, from what I can remember about it. I love it too because I've been trying to name them, so I don't even remember what they are. So I just include the clip link, but I rename it. Try to find this one and download it because you gotta find you. We gotta get this one posted. But this guy is it's a like a wrestling. Oh yeah, dude. He's he's Jesus. uh, Looks like backyard wrestling. He stands up on the corner, you know, to like jump off of the ring, and he jumps to try and turn, but his weak little legs just twist and buckle underneath him. Both of them just break into like. Oh my god! It's like you know, like those twisty donuts that you get, you know, the two little I twist can't even donuts. I not watch it anymore, dude. I gotta turn. And then you you un you unroll it the other way. That's what his legs look like. <laughs> that was. I forgot about that one, dude. Dude, you. <laughs> wow. Isn't that fucking this is dude. You're hitting me with some good ones today, dude. <laughs> Can I play mine, Elite? Let's play mine before we show it. Let's play yours. Okay, Let's mine is this. I follow this dude on TikTok, and uh, he's like this. He's a musician. He's also really funny. He just like starts his clips off the same like, and that's how I started following him because he would be like, he's always like, "What's going on, it's your fucking boy?" And he always says that every time. Um, his name on TikTok is Ivy Shreds, but he posted this the other day and it made me laugh so fucking hard. I was just like, he's, then he started doing a series of these. Hey, what's up, people? Uh, send this to your girlfriend or partner or whoever else this might apply to, and I hope it works for you. Classic. Please send me your titties. Send it in a text. Don't want to see no other breasts, because your titties are the best. Please send me your titties. It would may really make my day. Want to be as forward as possible. <laughs> he's been doing that's a hard riff to play dude well he he like that's a hard riff he has like several primus videos like this where he's just like send me it's just basically like send nudes but it's like <laughs> and he just does primus cover just he just does it over primus covers that's <laughs> that's so funny dude yeah les claypool is the man dude that is uh, uh yeah, he's a yeah. He rips and uh, he's hella funny. So go follow, shreds, go follow dude, Ivy Shreds. Not, yeah, 
That is not an easy fucking <laughs> riff to play. All right. Um, let's see. All right. Are we going let's to wrap this up. Young Malibu? <laughs> last one for you. This guy's probably going to be, you guys are going to see him winning a Grammy in the next one to two years, I would say. Warack in this mug. And you already know how my crew's coming. Let's do this shit, boys. Yeah, yeah. You heard what they saying. Them boys on the loose. Making stacks out the rack. Screaming big dumpy. Bro, my favorite thing right is this first comment. Oh, great. Little food stamping. The boys are <laughs> So funny. The second one, these guys are slow, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah! Shout out, young Warrack, um, young Malibu of Warrack. I don't know. Where, where, can we find out? Can we find out where Warrack is? I don't. Dude, look at the profile. It's definitely picture. in America. <laughs> His profile. <laughs> It's Warack in this uh, month, and they must have forgot who he was. They killed that shit, 900. Oh, yo, yo, I'm young Malibu of the rack. That's old 900 block. A certified bredophile, and I got all the quad. It's the jumps and the dude. This shirt. In My like, parents said I could be anything, so I became an asshole. <laughs> here for everybody go follow fucking young malibu war rack <laughs> you gotta protect your knees those jumps taking a toll <laughs> young spectrum <laughs> young spectrum holy gotta wrap this up this one's ran so long oh my god i'm crying great episode dude great episode bro first episode with a guest big shout out to dan big shout out to dan dude i feel like it was like yeah this is like uh well yeah we're almost at two hours in the recording wow great two head five head um as always i love you man love you too dude appreciate you Go follow us, uh, yeah, on Instagram at Two Devs Pod. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, please, so you guys know when we drop episodes. Think we're trying to do. We're up to like a couple times a month, sometimes once a month. We're still out there getting content to you guys. Um, working on getting more clips out there too. Thank you guys. Woo!